Hey Lee, how's it going? Hello, Gabe. How are you? Doing all right. Welcome back to the crossroads. Glad to see you here. That you're you made it. We made it. We made it. We made it. Yeah. Well, I've been here. I've been waiting for you. Yeah. I got me a chair, a blue chair, by the way, and the leg was kind of broken, so I had to fix it while while I was waiting. And um. And I was just sitting here thinking, like, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, today we're covering the book 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Do you remember? You remember. Was I supposed to read something? Kind of. Oh, I forgot. We're covering rule one. I've just been sitting at the crossroads for a couple months, so. Oh, this whole time? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm supposed to go home? <laughs> no. Hmm. You have no... No other uh, things to tend to, to attend mm, to? Not right now. Oh, must be nice. So rule one, run, just kidding. Rule, rule, rule one. Rule one, one from 12 Rules for Life. It is stand up straight with your, with your shoulders back. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the third time I've read it. Um, First time I read it, second time I listened to it, and then we discussed it in... Our book club, actually. So this is, I guess, technically the fourth time I've gone through it. And I still have to say that it's such a just well-written, well-researched, well-thought-out. Did I say well-written? It's easy to digest. Easy to digest. Part. These are complex ideas, but in a, in a very... Di- it's been... He writ- wrote it in a way that was very digestible and easily comprehensible, but in a sense still holds its profundity is that a word i love that word now profoundity profoundity yep and <laughs> we thought we start with whatever you thought was important from your notes um so if you want to start with something on top of your mind sure with uh, your anti-state hat <laughs> i want to get one of those by the way state's really good <laughs> uh i think we should uh preference certain things so for example um he touches on the idea of being with a capital b mm, good point so i think uh for the audience he wrote a note in here somewhere right? yeah it's in the overture it's in cha- chapter page 31 what oh you're talking about like xx1 yeah Oh, I use the term being. I see it now. Go ahead. Oh, excuse me. So just so that, because he references this terminology or this description of, well, I would call it our spirit, our soul, our, the part, our essence, our part, the part of us that makes, that makes us. Our consciousness. Consciousness. Um, it's kind of like a, um, an amalgamation of the soul and spirit and consciousness. That p- the part of us that is the image of God. Ba- essentially. Yeah. So What's it called? Amago Deo? Amago Deo? In Latin? I don't speak Latin. I only speak English. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so... <laughs> Silly time, silly talk. Okay, so he preferences the term being and how he's going to use it throughout the book. So maybe we should start there. All right. We can move on. Definitely. So 
This is how he describes it. I use the term being with a capital B in part because of my exposure to the ideas of the 20th century German philosopher Martin Heidegger. Heidegger tried to distinguish between reality as conceived objectively and the totality of human experience, which is his being. Being with a capital B is what each of us experiences subjectively, personally, and individually, as well as what we each experience jointly with others. As such, it includes emotions, drives, dreams, visions, and revelations, as well as our private thoughts and perceptions. Being is also finally something that is brought into existence by action. So its nature is to an indeterminate degree, a consequence of our decisions and choices, something shaped by our hypothetically free will. Construed in this manner, being is one, not something easily and directly reducible to the material and objective. And number two, something that most definitely requires its own term, as Heidegger labored for decades to indicate. So. Okay. So the point being is that he's basically saying the human soul, like the spirit, the the, the image of God. Part of us that's created in the image of God. Right. You know? The one that. Our inner being, our heart, soul, mind. The, what is it, the inner man as well? The the inner essence of a man. I botched that one. I know that's Nacho Libre, but <laughs> Nacho Libre. No, the 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 nucleus of a man. The there nucleus of a man. There you go. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's basically the same idea. I mean, as being Nacho Nacho oh, Nacho was a philosopher. We all knew that. Do we need to break down Nacho Libre and the philosophy behind it, Nacho? Uh, maybe for another episode. <laughs> Let's table that one. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> we. We don't have time for that. Real one. Nacho Libre. Bro. So. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to preview the preview to the preview. And by the time we preview it, we might not get to the preview. We need to unwrap this gift first. It's we, like the Russian dolls. Exactly right. When you peel back the layers of onion, you get to the heart of a man. So. Didn't, those, didn't, didn't you see that also the, in the movie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> for point. those that are still listening. Yeah. Uh, one of the the big talking points, I guess, or big biggest ideas for rule one would be the dominance hierarchy. Would you agree? Yeah, that would be the overarching idea is the dominance hierarchy. Correct. So he's not necessarily... This is where things got twisted for him, right? As far as people reviewing his book or critiquing his book. He's not saying that... Well, I guess he's... By mentioning it, he's advocating it. But he, all he was, all he's doing in chapter one is telling us what it is, telling us its essence and how it works and how it's been around for I don't know three hundred and fifty million million years, million years, and how this is not something that was created by man or instituted by man. He's like, this is just the reality of life itself. Right. It's just. Uh, if you if you could say it this way, how God created the world, and this is God, and and God creating the world in Genesis, God created the, the hierarchies essentially. Right. So it's a 
It's a very determinant. It's not even a word. It's a very... Uh, We're just making up all kinds of words. We are today. It's a very defined way to bring about order and how we relate to each other, to nature, to ourselves even. Yeah. You could even put it that way. It's 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 reality itself. It's it's the structure of being, right? All right. that, as so, he says. So, like, I mean, this is going very much... This is very, uh, at this point, 2020, right? This is a very... In August. Counter, yeah, this is very counterpoint or counterculture to what the narrative is in 2020. And I would say it is as it interacts with the fringe ideologies. Yeah. Um, only because I think more and more the rationale of most people would look at this and say, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So... Because I think I think we we pay a lot of attention to kind of the the fringes of any ideologies. The problem is is that it can overrun a society, as we're starting to see, especially when it comes to a particular democratic or Freudian slip, a particular political party, mm-hmm. as well as media and whatnot. So, right. And I guess for me, more recently, one of the examples that stands out the most, as far as well, you know, what is dominant? What does the dominant hierarchy look like, or what is it? You know, what does it address, or what it, you know, what is it pointing out? And I know it was Michael Malice, and I don't know who he was on with or talking to. I don't know if it was Joe or Dave Smith, or I don't remember who he was talking to. But point is, point is, <laughs> yeah, that uh. An example of of what a dominant hierarchy would look like, or dominant hierarchy would look like, would be a meritocracy. So, for example, the example that Michael Malice was discussing was something like the NBA, mm-hmm. where mm. the people that are in the NBA are there because they're qualified, because they're talented, right? Because they have a certain skill set and there are most of them are of a certain height, right? I think the average age, the average age, the average <laughs> height of an NBA player is probably like six, seven, six, eight, something like that. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very exclusive club. It's a minority. It's a right, not racially, just how would you? Well, you, you get people. Okay, so the way I understand it is that these are world class athletes. Right. Okay. These are the cream of the crop. These are the one percent of those that are highly skilled, highly athletic, the best of the best. And yeah, and they're doing this in a very in a highly competitive environment too. That's not obviously another aspect of right. Who's the, these discussions of like, well, who was the best? Oh, well, it's this guy. It's that guy. This guy was. You know, cutthroat, and he wanted to win every single time. And for whoever saw the Michael Jordan documentary, right, he was exactly, that guy. Exactly right. So that's just one example of how dominant the dominance hierarchy takes place or takes form. Is that right? The best of the best are going to qualify and 
meet the requirements, meet the expectations of that that exclusive club. So, like, I don't even know how many players there are in the NBA, but there's how many how many billions of people? Plenty of billions, maybe Plenty like seven, seven billion and a half or something. Okay, so out of those seven and a half billion, there can only be twelve people per team. I believe there's thirty-two teams, thirty or thirty-two teams. Let's say ten people, thirty-two teams. That's three hundred twenty people. Out of how many billion? Seven, eight billion. So that's okay. So that is how thin of a margin, right? That that's basically impossible to be in the NBA. You're basically saying it's like you're going to win the lottery. That's your chances of winning the lottery. And even if, yeah, so let's say even if you have the physicals, your physical, right? right? All you check off all the boxes, you still not might not make it because you're not skilled enough. You don't like mentally. You don't you don't have it with you to stay consistent to do just to be able to stay in shape for these guys. Like, yeah, I'm, and then and then top it off, right? And then other people. You know, they break a they break an arm or they, you know personal they shatter their situations, knee, their yeah. Ankle and it's like, dude, you're not gonna be able to walk again the same. So it's like again, another there's so many factors to to there's layer upon layer upon layer upon right. layer that that basically to get to that point, there's so many things have to go your way, essentially. Right. You would have to not just work hard and have the skills and have the height. But life would have to be lined in a way that leads you to the grand stage. It has to be very generous. Very generous. Very, and as we pointed out, very fortunate. You're, you're basically winning a lottery in a sense. Yeah. Metaphorically, I guess Ca- you could say. There's only a f- there's only so many people that can cash that in. Right. Which, which we would are we would um it would be important for us to say that, which is another um topic that he that jordan discusses in this rule in that he talks about prices law or the matthew principle Mm -hmm. um the Pareto distribution all these different principles and ideas which states that for those who have more will be given Mm -hmm. so you can say that for those who have xyz um one two three skills more would be given in that you would have you know like jordan you would get your was it nike deal Mm -hmm. you get your air jordans you get your nba final rings and trophies and whatnot mvp but if you're the guy that doesn't make it to the playoffs or doesn't even make it on the team let alone to the playoffs or whatnot you basically let's say you end up becoming alcoholic and you're divorced with three kids i don't know why i'm saying all that but the point is is that it's very different realities Mm -hmm. i don't know how that makes sense with the math principle but it does well Right. So one of the examples he uses for Price's Law, right, is stating one of the interesting factors is stating that 90% of communication occurs using just 500 words. Right. There you in go. In the language. So, I mean, that's a that's a ton of, you know, that's a big chunk of the, wor- the words that are yeah. being used, the vocabulary. And that's, when I, when I saw that, I was like, no, nah, that can't be right. But. Makes, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So. I guess to clean up what I was just stating earlier, my point is that in Price's Law, Matthew Principle, so Pareto distribution, the small percentage of those NBA players, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, make up 
a small percentage of the population, but hold, let's say, the vast amount of success in the sport, essentially. The, the, uh, the fact that they've earned millions and they have their, their um, MVP awards and their championships, again, is a very small, even that's a smaller percentage. The, right. Um, what's his name? Jordan's championship rings. That's a smaller subset of NBA players. And, and even, yeah, because even, what's it called? You just making it to the NBA, that still doesn't mean that you're going to find success in the NBA. So many things have to go right. Yeah. I think out of the 30 or 32-odd teams, there's only been 12 or so different champions, 15 or something like that. Like it's less than half of the the actual league that's won a championship. Right. So, again, an even smaller percentage. percentage yeah, of teams that have actually won. Because it like, it's like you look at the career of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, a lot of people missed out on championships because of Michael Jordan. Right. You know, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe being together for those those years that they were together. Tim Duncan, they they stopped a lot of people from winning. Like, it's ridiculous when you think about it. An entire team of people. Yeah. That's a lot of... of broken uh, broken yeah. dreams and, and hearts and all that work right again they they did all the work to get to the finals but there was somebody else that was better than them there was a there was a there was a team and there were some players that outperformed right on the on probably one of the biggest stages of their careers and they didn't even get they didn't even get the the they didn't even get the taste of glory of, taste a little, a little just a little taste of the glory they didn't even get the little taste see what it tastes like they didn't even get to see what it tastes like not even a little drop of 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 satisfaction like just charles barkley he says nobody calls me championship chuck <laughs> championship chuck. <laughs> there you go yeah and um yeah i mean it's so again i i think sports is like the easiest way to to really discuss this in, in general really um however as we sit today there there may not even be sports moving forward because I don't know because I guess they affect our they're, reality and society and their their form of protesting now might be to just sit out the season or cancel or sit out the rest of the season yeah. because that's really going to change change the the course of history by no more basketball or baseball mm. or anything because mm-hmm. they their profession matters so much to everybody around them that they need to sit out. Could you imagine like? A regular person, right? Just one of us. We just said, you know, I'm not going to go to work as a protest. What would happen to us? You're fired. You're fired. Exactly. The only reason, the only other way I would imagine that would make sense is for religious reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Jewish holiday or whatnot. But to say that because of something out in the world that's happening, right? The the explosion that happened in Lebanon, I think it was, right? Beirut. Mm-hmm. Like we could have just all called off and been like, I can't go to work because, you know, there's there's stuff happening out in the world. That makes no... I'm... I'm anyways, we're going to... No, no. It, it, it goes into... Gosh. I'm using a lot of arms, but you can't tell. <laughs> you wish you had like... Two or three more arms. We, you can we need more arms in here, please. <laughs> no, uh, Second Amendment. Anyways, get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, right to bear arms. 
bare this arms. Guy. <laughs> yeah, it it uh, if actually that idea, he actually brings it up a little bit. No, when he talks about the the per, the people that become um, agoraphobic, agoraphobic, right? Like I'm gonna shut down the rest of the world. My world, essentially, not the rest of the world. It's my world that's actually going to be affected because of fear, because of anxiety, because of a lost, a lost sense of control, essentially, right? Because within the ridicule, ridicule, yeah. And it's all really the way Jordan Peterson breaks it down is it's all self-induced. You know, right. your, your reality, the, the reality that you played over and over again in your mind. He calls it. What does he call it? The the loop, the oh yeah, the positive feedback loop. Positive feedback loop. Thank yeah. you. So he says, yeah, the, the the person that is experiencing some anxiety because of a difficult time in their life. Let's say, for example, that the, you know, the example he uses is a person is driving to the mall and they have all this undercurrent of stress, anxiety, what have you, and they're thinking about it. And then as they're going into the parking lot, parking lot. They start hyperventilating. They start heavy, you know, breathing heavily, and so they they go back home instead of dealing with the situation and being present to what's going on. And so, anyways, so then this creates this this feedback loop of, well, you know what? Last time I went to the mall, this and this happened, and so now. So, anyways, the point being that we create these discon- these these ideas that are actually very disconnected from reality like we're talking about the nba players where you're like well how is that going to how and is then, that going to help yeah. police reform and if- then and then what happens as he as he alludes to this example as you're alluding to the example is that what happens is that the person becomes smaller right so you're defeated right which is the, the problem again, becomes bigger right the problem becomes bigger you become smaller and this is that again the idea as it relates to the overarching idea of the hierarchy is that and, and he starts out with the lobsters. So in connecting the lobsters to this is that when you become, when you are defeated, whether let's say you're denied, um, you ask a girl out and she says, no, right. You feel defeated and you feel, um, denied and less than, and all those emotions as a guy, rejection, nothing, rejection. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing worse than being rejected. Right. So then what happens is that you're more in fearful of, of being rejected again. So you decide, you know what? I'm not even going to deal with it. I'm going to just play. All women are bad. All women are bad. I'm just going to play video games all day. I'm going to stay home with my parents and and just shout the world because I don't want to be rejected ever again. So then you shrink and become, uh, uh, what, what does he say? Like a, a lesser lobster. I forget how exactly. A defeated lobster, essentially. So then the other lobsters, let's say, the ones that, the other guys that were successful in their dating um, adventures, if you will, with women become uh, more desirable to these women and, and they end up, you know, having the ability to choose from, let's say, the top of whatever um, right. female choices that they have. There's less choices within that pool. Right. Yeah. It becomes less and less. Right? So women are looking towards, I mean, again, we're in August 2020 and maybe this isn't totally kosher with some people's perspe- perspectives and views, but point being is that then what happens is that that guy that's more successful is more confident and more dominant, if you will, has his, um, what is it? Choice of mating 
his his mating choices uh, opportunities are more open and wide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then, what happens is that there's again. So then, the point in that is that it, that's what breaks down that hierarchy is that there's this person at the lower end of the, the hierarchy. Then you have some undercurrent of anxiety, maybe high blood pressure. You can't get into the parking lot of this mall. That leads to positive feedback loop. You become smaller. The world and problems become larger. And then you have people who are able to deal with these issues. They're healthier. They're more confident. Their mating choices are, are um, I can't even say it. They have more options for mating. Mm-hmm. They Their careers, they're more su- successful in their careers. So then that's essentially what the hierarchy is. And this is what gets played out, whether we choose to uh see it or not essentially right because then that that goes hand in hand right with his with his application of nature that nature doesn't have a nature necessarily oh yeah because that was we pretty think, profound we think that oh nature is always the same or it's always static but it's actually dynamic mm-hmm. because he uses right he uses the example of the the red queen from Alice in Wonderland because she says something to the effect of in my kingdom, you need to run as fast as you can just to stay in place, just to stay where you are. Yeah. So in other words, like progress is really hard to come by. If you, you have to work really hard. Yeah. Just make it, make any, just to get better, yeah. just to improve on life. And like, yeah, you have to look into it, right? You have to put the work <laughs> in and, <laughs> What? What's so funny? <laughs> yeah, you gotta look into it. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it's interesting, right? Because then he says, the bottom of the dominant hierarchy is a terrible, dangerous place to be. Yeah. Like you're saying, you're at the bottom, going back to the Matthew principle, for those who have less. For the uh, Even if that which you have, more will be taken. Yeah. I think there's another way. I think yeah. I find that easier to say. Sorry. Yeah. No, but right. Cause it's like, if you don't work at it, if you don't improve, you don't, you don't stay moving, then it's going to fall apart. It's kind of like the whole, the whole thing that people say about fitness. Yeah. I don't even get use it. Or, use it or lose it. I mean, yeah, there's some, I lost there's some, it. There's some truth to that. Ago. Right. Like for men, right. They hit their forties and, your muscle mass is going to decrease a certain percentage. You hit 50, your muscle mass is going to decrease. So I'm there, man. <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> It feels like it sometimes. Because you're, you're, the resources available to your body essentially become scarce, just right. in the same way as your environment around you. Right. And not only that, then he says, the heightened sense of emergency for those at the bottom of the dominant hierarchy renders you impulsive the physical demands of emergency preparedness will wear you you down in every way so right so people that are stuck mentally in the survival mode or the constant right the constantly having to look over your shoulder whether whether that's because you you live in a in a more or in the rougher part of town or right closer you are to poverty the harder things are going to be like just to do the simple things, just to be able to go to school, just to make and meet, make sense, make ends meet, just to walk to the store, just yeah. to, you know, I remember when uh, Grace and I were first married, our our first condo that we lived in was in Santa Ana, and I can't tell you 
because of, if anybody that has lived in a condo or an apartment in, in Santa Ana or, or a very uh, populated area, what the parking situation can be like sometimes. Oh, my gosh. Like, Long Beach. I would, I would have at least once a week, I would have dreams about my car being broken into or being stolen or missing. I didn't have to dream about it. It actually happened to me in Long Beach <laughs> twice. Oh, shoot, really? Like the police, the cops actually, oh, I can't talk about the cops. Oh, man. Um, these really nice people in uniform. Um, Those guys? There was these guys that helped find my car. Anyways. I mean, my, my car got vandalized, you know, a couple times. Did you ever get parking tickets or anything like that? Street sweeping tickets? No, Street? I was pretty good about that. I got so many. I basically helped fund the, the city of Long Beach with how many <laughs> the, tickets I got. The meter made? The city mayor, Parking man. I paid you, I paid half of your your <laughs> annual salary. I got to tell you. But no, but it's true, right? It's like you're in that situation, and it's it's something to you know an extra stress to worry about, something else to worry about, an extra thing to always have in the back of your mind. And it's weird how that played that plays with your head, that plays with. And you feel like you can't get ahead, right? So that's the idea of like I can't get ahead because I got to worry about. I had to drive from Orange County to Long Beach, which is like 30 minutes on the 91. Okay. With no AC. Oh. Right? And then on top of it, my car may or may not have broken down at some points. So you have that added stress, right? Then you have to worry about parking. And then there's some questionable people around you. You have to be there at a certain time in order to get oh a spot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because if not, every, everything's gone, right? Or people have save a parking for their, you know, whatever. So people do that stuff. So then you got to worry <laughs> about finding parking. You got to look around. That takes time. And then... Finally, you get home. By that time, you just don't want to deal with anything, and and it's already late. So then you got to get it the next morning. I feel like I'm. Uh, we're we're both reliving some yeah. stuff here. Don't, why'd you bring this up? <laughs> <laughs> why did I bring this up? Because this book is telling us the truth about ourselves and I our know. psyche and our humanity and uh, how it relates to each other and parking. I swear, if we can figure out parking, then a lot of problems would be solved. Because parking is such a, a pain. Well, how is it, sir? How is it that your tax pay, your tax payments, that doesn't even sound right. <laughs> you paying taxes pays for the sidewalk and the street and the curb. And, and we still got to pay. And you pay the meter? Yeah. That makes no sense. You double pay. We're double paying. We're, Why? We're paying rent on the house on Monopoly and on the house with the rent. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Speaking of uh, monopoly, positive, right? Positive feedback loop. That's monopoly. <laughs> I know how I'm getting all looping around. <laughs> but think about monopoly. I think that's another good example, right? So the whole the right, whole premise. Right to jail right away. <laughs> Even has that. Oh my god. <laughs> that's true. It does have you right to jail. You know, pay your parking. You're right to jail. Right to jail. Right away. Believe it or not. No trial, no nothing. <laughs> there literally is no trial. <laughs> wow. We're just living in a meme. 2020's meme meme year. Um everything's coming full circle. I know it feels that way, right? So Monopoly, right? The, at the end of the game, there's one person that has all the money, which would we would call the one percent. Right? So the more that you have we more property. You would call them immoral. Immoral, they're they're bigoted and racist and discriminatory everything and bad. Everything that you can think of, throw it at them. The person that won that game. Big bad capitalism. Yeah. So right, the person gets all the properties, they get the houses, they they um charge people rent and Give then me all the money. People go broke. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's that's the hierarchy again being played out in a very 
wait, 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 kind wait, wait, of wait, simplistic wait, 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 game. Wait, are you saying that games in general have a point to them and that the the whole premise of a game is to be the winner and to come out on top? Wait a minute. What is that what I'm saying? <laughs> huh. We're going to gamify this, huh? <laughs> well, it's true, though. If you think about it, games, again, sports or... or Any kind of competitive... We compete every day. Field or... Yeah. yeah. Podcasts, what we're doing right now, we're competing against other podcasts, even though our moms just listen to it. Hi, mom. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, everything is a game, like you're saying. Can be a game, yeah. Or, Can be. Or dude, don't be so competitive, bro. Or just don't compete. Just don't compete. If you don't want to lose, just don't compete. It's, yeah. And I mean, the hierarchy is a competition. It, it doesn't go away. You can't escape it. Because if you don't do anything about it, you're just going to be in the same place. So then, instead of just being upset about finding where to park, you need to pay parking tickets, and then you're you're walking around questionable people, and then you're and then you're in a city that you don't even like, and so you argue about it all the time, and then you get in fights, and then your car gets stolen, and then you really don't like your job because you have to drive so far, and there's a lot of traffic, and it's hot, and you have no AC. Why even play the game? You're a victim. I feel very. I feel like I'm oppressed right now. Could you imagine? I'm reliving my no like, oppressed years. Who was it? I, I, I'm missing on on who coined this, but they said everyone should at least work one service job, doing customer service at least w- once in their life. Maybe that sounds like um, maybe Adam Carolla kind of, kind of quote. Because like they're like that really brings you into reality like very quickly yeah because he talks about all these people in the ac and they're right. all complaining but but what you just said too about cars everybody their first car should have no ac so oh you get yeah a, for you get sure understanding and it should be manual and manual and no power windows no power windows you gotta roll that was my 1970 volkswagen beetle my grandma gave me no just, no ac no power windows it was manual i mean how much how much character building you know, and, and I don't know if I told I may have a service this job, a, a 1970 Beetle with no power steering, no power steering. Uh, apparently there was power steering, but I never put any fluid in it. So <laughs> 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 I never looked in the hood, which was in the back. But um, did I ever tell you the story of my um, trip back up to Santa Cruz? No. So I had, the, ni- I had the 1970 Volkswagen Beetle, right? And... At this point, I had messed it up. I was a fool, and I was young and dumb and whatnot. So I was—I always leave at night because it's air-cooled, meaning it doesn't take any water to cool down the engine. It has no intercooler system. That's, right. Yeah. So I would drive at night because it's cooler, and I can travel further and whatnot. So this one time, it was summer. I was working in Santa Cruz, and I was going to go back. It was like 10, 11 at night, so I'm driving out, and... The first time I go to get gas, I fill up and I try to turn the car back on. The lights are on, but it doesn't start. So then I'm already, I don't know, a couple hours into the road trip back up to Santa Cruz and I put in neutral. I have the car, the ignition on or however you say that. You pop the clutch and... I pop the clutch and and I kept going. The whole night, I jump-started the car I pushed up hills. I asked people to help me push the car the whole way up. Every time I put gas, I had to jump start it. Whoa. To like 8 in the morning, 10 in the morning, I forget. 
And that, if you want to talk about building character, I'm by myself. Being humbled? Oh, boy. I don't even think I could do that right now at this point, to be honest. Like, it frightens me when I think about it. How do I even do that? So, point being is that um, I beat the hierarchy at that point. The the Volkswagen Beetle intercooled, non-intercooled, no power steering hierarchy? Yep. I beat that hierarchy. I'll tell you that right now. That was a fun story. So, <laughs> well, I mean, that's just that's just life right like right so i, I could have felt defeated i could have gone back home and not have, even you could have tried to avoid th- this whole thing altogether it's painful yeah and and right well how would you have come out of it not not conquering it or not even wanting to deal with it not even wanting right. to explain or address that this is something real exactly yeah i could have ignored it right yeah yeah just could look just, the other way yeah i'm not gonna even deal with it could have gotten a ride or taken a bus and wow yeah talk about not um worrying about where to park in the mall because <laughs> i couldn't even I, get to the mall <laughs> no i i remember those days yeah that i need to park my car in a certain spot because if it gets too hot it won't start yeah <laughs> so many it, little things it, it's, right? it's character building right i mean that's <laughs> i think that's the biggest thing is like in dealing with these challenges, right. And, and competing in these games and dealing with like, um, there was a, in the beginning of this chapter where he he said basically that there's a, in, in relationship to the lobsters and humanity in general, right. We're, we have to interact with one another, right. Mm-hmm. We have differing opinions and goals and, you know, whatnot, so on and so forth. We have to interact with each other. We have to eventually get along. We have to work with one another. It's a, what is it called? Some kind of cooperation where yeah, it's a we have to well, we have to compete, but also to a point where we can cooperate. He yeah he I think uses, he talks about that. He uses the illustration of the chimps, right? Yeah, exactly. You can't just be the tyrant chimp because you're gonna get you're gonna get attacked by two chimps that are two thirds small or weaker than you. You're gonna like get that. suicided. Yeah, suicide. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. So what they do, right, is that he says they build coalitions, they build alliances, understanding that I need these chimps in order to stay in power. They shake hands, kiss babies. They hang out with the... They become a politician. Basically. And they hang out with the, the, the chimps at the lower end of the hierarchy just to make sure they're attended keep, to. You keep them happy. Keep them happy and, you know, give them free rent and free college and they'll keep voting for you. Uh-oh. Wow, he went there. Anyways... So that's a good point, right? Because chimps are vicious. They will attack a troop even if that if those monkeys were part of their clique beforehand. Mm-hmm. If you get anywhere near their, their territory, they're going to shred you to pieces literally. Et tu, Brute. It's quite vicious. And I think he mentioned the scientist. Um, I forget her name now. Duval or no? The, the female scientist? Yeah. She was researching them and found that she was very hesitant to actually publish her her findings because of how uh, counter you're not talking about the dutch the dutch uh i think she was dutch no she was france de wall there you go yeah so she she was apparently that's what he mentioned that she was very hesitant to publish her findings and it's it, it so in light of what we're discussing as it relates to monkeys and lobsters, and he even talks about birds, like there's this, um, a few sections about when, as it relates to territory, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, territory matters, and there is little difference between territorial rights and social 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 status. Social. It is often a matter of life and death. So again, right, where you live, right, you're parking, and the people around you, and are you going to get mugged tonight? Are you going to get mugged tonight? And um, you know, are, are there more cops, less cops? I said the word, and. It, it definitely influences your demeanor, right? Are you going to have a, a, a weapon on you just to be able to protect oneself because you're in a iffy neighborhood? And the whole point, right, is to get yourself out of those areas because it's obviously not safe. You can't raise a family. So, again, the, these are and – th- and it's interesting because that's exactly what's happening, right? That's what – a lot of the, I would say a lot of these riots, a lot of the angst, the, the frustration that many of these people feel is that they're in environments that are not conducive to healthy decision-making abilities, essentially, right? Because mm-hmm. they have to pay those parking fines, they have broken down cars, they're dealing with, you know, so amounts of piles of debt. So in light of this, and we were just talking, I know we were just talking about the NBA players, right? Because one of the talking points, uh, contem- the contemporary talking points, I guess, politically, t- socially, is uh, privilege, right? Discussion of privilege and who has it, who doesn't. Check your privilege. Yeah. So the reality is... I always do at the door. <laughs> the reality is that we all have privilege. We're, we're all... One way or another. One way or another. You can be tall. You can be born into, right? Yeah, you can be six, Generational eight. wealth. You can be handsome. You can be ugly. Right. Smart. So, like, one of the things that he, he mentions in, in Chapter 1, that the people on the top, they can delay gratifact. Grat- I can't even say it. I can't say social status. Okay. <laughs> they can delay gratification. Gratification. They, they can look and plan for the future. They can look forward in the future versus versus uh, people that worrying about their car being stolen at night or broken into at night yeah because they're in a bad neighborhood so get for a, them get an alarm bro which i did have to get anyway but it, he says you can afford to be reliable and a thoughtful citizen Ooh, what a racist i can't believe you just said that <laughs> it's not. well it's true right because if you're not so concerned about surviving surviving you can be a benefit to others right so it's correct um be uh, how, how's it go um to be blessed, you, to be blessing to others. I forget how you say it. Be a blessing so you can be a blessing to others. A verse? Yeah, a verse. Right? Uh, I'm like drawing a blank here. Sorry. Blessing to... Uh, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, that's what it says. If I could just find the right virgin. <laughs> Version, I mean. Version. That was not a but No, but he says anxiety-induced perspectives, wow. right? Like you said, they make us smaller. And they, he says it actually creates the existence of danger to, to last even longer than it should or would normally, right? Because then he goes into how when you're stuck there, you're, like you said, the world becomes – your the world and your problems become bigger and you become smaller that what happens – what tends to happen – is uh, depression sets in, and that same depression has a snowball effect. Mm. 
Right. Yeah. So it's just one thing builds after another after another. And that, like he's talking about the lobsters, right? Those that have been defeated, they end up having a subordinate mind frame because they get bullied or because they get ridiculed. And I don't know why I was just, this made me think of the Joker. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of looking at it, right? Because his life was, um, plagued with deception and lies and he was not able to create a reality of uh, based on truth right mm-hmm. and so that led to resentment and he was ridiculed um he was at the bottom he was very much at the bottom i can't find the verse but it's okay um and so yeah he had a very cynical outlook and that led to what you saw was violence and rioting and whatnot. Chaos, so anarchy. Chaos, anarchy. That sounds uh, oddly um, familiar. If anyone's been paying attention, yeah. He he. And and again, it, it's not to it's not to bash or condemn or talk down on. It's just it's it it it's important to understand why it is that people are 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 acting in this way right well right and what are the what are the what are the um influences that that lead to someone to act out this way essentially i guess you could say yeah but right and i think for me as far as like well what's the point of what i'm trying to get at is um these things okay so the idea the thought of disenfranchised right that one of the talking points is that it's immoral and we need to get rid of it. What's the, immoral? Those that are disenfranchised, oh, okay. those that don't have privilege, those that mm-hmm. are at the bottom of this this uh, so-called dominant hierarchy, that it's immoral for these people to even be in the, in the said position. But like you're saying, the reality is that that's just... That's the truth of our of our existence of our nature that there's always right there's always a one percent there's always in, in any kind of political system right there's always somebody at the top or any system or any game in general right yeah like we're saying with sports or careers and so, or and so it, it, i think it's i think it's important to note that yeah that we do want to to highlight injustice highlight right wrongdoing and 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 seek justice and love mercy but it's it's also i think it's also important to realize right like how are we going to go about this are we going to go about this in a righteous way or a unrighteous way all right how do we address these problems yeah how do we address the problems that arise out of these hierarchies right because if the hierarchy becomes unstable, well, you know, the problem with, especially when it comes to um, social economic status is that the more money that goes to less and less hands, essentially, that leads to instability and resentment. And there's no reason for those who don't have to even worry about, right, what the, their future, they're going to live for today. They're, they're going to... Um, what is it called? They're gonna they're gonna live out a life of expediency, 
which mm -hmm. is another rule because there's no other reason there's no other way around their reality because that's just what they know they're they're living paycheck to paycheck they're trying to make ends meet they're stressed out and that's a harsh reality that a lot of people live mm -hmm. now as I was, i've been trying to look but another verse that i think um helps to relegate and, and when it comes to god's economy is that we who do have right we want to give our 10 percent, but we also want to be generous we also want to you know give the clothes off of our back to those who we see in need i forget the verse exactly what it was I, w I was hungry and you gave me food i was um cold and you gave me some some mm -hmm. something to that effect that it, in in looking and striving towards god's high mark or high calling and looking for the kingdom everything will be added unto you right all your needs will be met what that's saying is that despite whatever your circumstance looks like if you call upon the name of the lord then that in and of itself can change your perspective on life because then what you start and i think about it this way is that once you become grateful for, for what you do have you start to realize that there is a lot to be grateful for right so then that be that in and of itself adds to that idea of compound interest or right you start to realize okay here's this i have family around me or i have whatever the case may be right right because it's almost like gratitude unlocks blessing yeah that's because, a good way of looking at it yeah because if you're never if you're never grateful then you're never going to feel blessed no matter what happens you're never going to be content you're never going to be satisfied yeah essentially there's there's no there's no way that you're gonna be able to store right you're not gonna be able to store right. what it is that Cause you there's, have there's because there's no you don't even realize you have it right there's no checkpoint there's no like marker to indicate there's nothing indicating that hey life isn't so bad i right. actually have it pretty good before i had a car that had no ac no power steering and now you know sometime later i'm able to get a different car a newer car that doesn't have so many problems that i don't have to stress out or worry about if it's gonna leave me stranded on the side of the road so you start to see that hey you know what? i'm making some progress it's not leaps and bounds but it's a small step towards whatever that ultimate right. goal is right if it's achieving successes and reaching the the pinnacle of the hierarchy and whatnot right and then it's also interesting if you think about how the builders of the builders denied the cornerstone right i forget how you said they denied the chief cornerstone the chief cornerstone christ. right mm -hmm. which is christ um and then obviously if you think about that that Jesus came to reverse or or turn the hierarchies upside down. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Right. So then, if you if you take that into consideration, so what that does is help rectify the injustices that we see with these hierarchies. That again, that are just that just are part of it's it's embedded, it's baked into how we live our lives, how reality is, how you play the game of life, how you play the game of life, right? So. I guess I guess you you could say to help to kind of illuminate what the alternative is is to understand that the f 
the the last shall be first, right? That's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of the good news is to know that there's a way in which we can pull one another out of this and move in a direction that could rectify some of the injustices that we see. And I think he doesn't necessarily get into it, but I think we can kind of play off of what, right? What off of what he's writing in is in the rule run rule one. I think it's in a sense implicit in what he's writing. And I think that's, what's interesting about a lot of his concepts is that it's always kind of there, but if you're not paying attention, then you will miss it. You have to acknowledge it first. Yeah, you do. I don't know why I wrote, I, I underlined this part, but it says here that psychological forces are never unidimensional in their value, however, and the truly appalling potential of anger and aggression to reduce cruelty and mayhem are balanced by the ability of those primordial forces to push back against oppression, speak truth, and motivate resolute movement forward in times of strife, uncertainty, and danger. So this this uh, section um, discusses what happens when you you start to say no, when you start to stand up for yourself, and you start to build essentially confidence, right? When Whenever you're bullied, you have to decide at a certain point, like enough is enough, right? Right, because he does say that People are bullied because they don't fight back, right? And can't or won't. They're bullied because they don't fight back. No, I think he 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 mentions that either they can't or they won't. Well, it has to do with the personality. So oh yeah, yeah, sometimes that's right. sometimes yeah. for example, agreeableness, says, right? Yeah. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Naive, harmless people usually guide their perceptions and actions with a few simple axioms. People are basically good. No one really wants to hurt anyone else. The threat and certainly the use of force, physical or otherwise, is wrong. These axioms collapse or worse in the presence of individuals who are genuinely malevolent. Worse means that naive beliefs can become a positive invitation to abuse because those who aim to harm have become specialized to prey on people who thinks who think precisely such things under such conditions the axioms of harmlessness must be retooled in my clinical practice i often draw the attention of my clients who think that good people never become angry to the stark realities of their own resentments yeah later on he says when the awaken when the awakening occurs when once naive people recognize in themselves the seeds of evil and monstrosity and see themselves as dangerous, at least potentially, their fear decreases. Mm-hmm. They develop more self-respect. Then, perhaps, they begin to resist oppression. They see that they are, have the ability to withstand because they are terrible too. They see they can and must stand up because they begin to understand how genuinely monstrous... Ah. Let me read that again. They... See, they can and must end up because they begin to understand how genuinely monstrous they will become. Otherwise, feeding on the resentment, transforming it into the most destructive of wishes. To say it again, there is very little difference between capacity for mayhem and destruction, integrated and strength of character. This is one of the most difficult lessons of life. It's true. 
And I know he has mentioned the verse um, in scripture that talks about to have a, um, something sheathed. Oh, the sword. Yeah, and he and he says that with that one of I guess the his. Meek, the, he talks about the meek shall inherit the earth. There you go. And how yeah. it's misinterpreted. Yeah. And he says the reality or the truth of of that verse is actually speaking towards those who keep their those who know how to use a sword but know how to keep it sheathed will inherit the earth. Yeah. In other words, they know how to exact violence when necessary. They know how to fight. They know how to defend themselves. They know all these different tools, but it's actually going to go a lot better for them if they can jump the hurdle, so to speak, without yeah. having to resort to that. Right. Do you, I, I don't think we ever talked about that, but is that something that would be accurate to say about that verse to make shall inherit the world? Right. Because a, a meaning for, for meekness or, or one of the interpretations rather, or definitions is essentially having power, in submission or under having power oh. under control. So like, for example, the, the one I, the one post I sent you to you before was the example that Joe Rogan used for, uh, what was his name? The UFC fighter champion, Matt, Matt, uh, was it the guy that was, um, he was in the Las Vegas yeah. restaurant in the hotel, hotel restaurant. And, Another patron became disorderly, drunk. He started throwing things at the servers, started throwing things at the at the other patrons, and he started shouting and and cursing everybody. Oh, Matt Sarah, that was his name. He was a former UFC champion. He was there for the some fight. Anyways, so so the guy becomes really irate and just disorderly, and Matt Sarah basically takes him to the ground, and he's sitting on top of him. And he's controlling his arms. And the guy's like, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to do that. The guy's drunk. Yeah. That's why he was out of control. And he's telling him, Matt, Matt Sarah, the UFC fighter, saying, calm down. Calm, calm oh, down. Okay. Like a little, like, like, yeah, he's talking to him like a baby. Like, yeah, he's, a little, that like he's a little baby. He's out of control. He's yeah. fussy. He's tired. Yeah, and the drugs, he's, he's just, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to get you. And I'm going to. And then finally, he, he had to like restrain him. In order for you know, in order to wait for the police to show up and <laughs> to get him out of there, so the in the example that uh, in that example Joe explains, he's like, you know, if it's up to me, nothing's gonna happen. There's a fight or a confrontation. He's like, that's all Matt had to do. He didn't have to put him in like a chokehold or like a beat crazy, him into submission, a crazy lock. He didn't have to beat him up, yeah, because he just had it. He did in, in that context at that time that wasn't necessary. It was only necessary. He only used enough force to remedy the situation. <laughs> and that's, yeah, actually that's interesting um, because that's something he discusses, I believe later on with um, parenting as well. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know if he, he talks about this rule as well, but that to use the necessary amount of force um, as it relates to uh, discipline. And you know what? Yeah. No. Yeah. For parenting, right? Yeah. And it's interesting that we're not hearing this with all this police reform to fund police narrative. As the as it deals with why restraining. Are, why are we not talking about this? Yeah. It's just right away just to fund the police. Like what's that going to solve? The the guy that has his car parked outside of his apartment 
complex and he gets he keeps getting broken into and yeah no it's 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 a it's a big um discussion to be had police reform makes sense right it makes complete sense more training makes complete sense right because at the end of the day that if if we're i guess if if you could say that we're kind of aligning what truths we can pull from from this rule is that we're almost we're all mon we all are genuinely monstrous right we all have um a capacity for for evil and malevolence and we can harm one another and he talks about post-traumatic stress um and how a lot of times it's it's caused because of something that we did um and then also the faces of their attackers uh Primarily, I would. Oh, he goes into the soldiers and their PTSD. And yeah. A lot of times, it's not because of something that they saw but it was being that they done did. to somebody else, but it's something that they did yeah. because they never imagined themselves being capable of that kind of monstrosity. Right. So then, if we if we understand that reality and that truth is that we're all capable of murder, absolutely. There's no if, ands, or buts. And, okay. In the, in light of that that idea, how much better would the world be? If we all just accepted the fact that whatever we hate, whatever we blame somebody else for being, for doing, if everyone had the understanding that I'm also capable of that kind of monstrosity, sin, whatever you want to call it, it it tends to shift the focus, right? It tends to shift the, the reality of like, wait a minute, I, I want to say that, you know, this person or that person was so bad and evil, but the reality, like Jordan Peterson says, right, it talks about the the Gustavo officers and the guards of the concentration camps. He's like, you in the you in that position, you probably would have done the same thing. Yeah, and most of us would have done the same thing. Happened in Germany and it happened in in Russia. Many of the um, I forgot how you call them, but basically not the guards themselves. I would say particularly in Russia, but the guards themselves were um, of the prisoners, right? right? So they were, let's say, promoted up to to second rank guard or whatever you want to say. They were inflicting a lot of the harm on their companions, if you will. It wasn't the the, the Gustavo guards themselves. It wasn't a stranger. Yeah, it was it was their own that was inflicting harm because they had the power and the ability to, to inflict harm because we are. I guess you could say uh, innately uh, evil and malevolent, and we have we absolutely have the capacity to inflict harm on one another. So, again, if if we think about the hierarchies, it's understanding that there is corruption. Right? We, as humanity, as people, can absolutely corrupt our. I don't know. You would say our positions, and we can inflict harm on one another and do do terrible things. But how do how do we rectify that? And it again, it's being able to step up. It's being able to speak up for yourself and know that there's something happening that's wrong, and and knowing that there are oppressors out there, absolutely. But knowing that you can be that oppressor yourself, right? Because he also says that in uh, in the chapter, he says the earlier you say no, or the earlier you yeah, you that's resist, important. Yeah, the sooner the oppression is going to stop. Right, it's going to come to an end. It's setting those boundaries up. Right. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. It's it's like you're not gonna let someone move an inch towards you, right? It's I forget the the old homage that you know you give someone a hand, they take your arm. 
kind mm -hmm. of kind of a deal or if you move um give them an inch they take a mile yeah because you know over time they're just gonna say oh well it's just this it's just like we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week about oh it's just take your temperature check oh it's just whatever the case may be right and before you know it you got to get the stamp and you gotta you know you go down the line so it, it always it's it's the idea of the slippery slope it always starts somewhere but again do you want to be the the rude guy the jerk that's saying no and is being you know defiant well you 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 pick you pick your you pick your poison you know do you want to be defiant or do you want to be submissive and then resentment uh, appears it, and i don't know i don't know what's worse all right so speaking of of wrongdoing or corruption or a type of uh, imbalance of power or right. Page 24, he talks about tyranny a little bit about kind of a little bit about how that takes hold or how that manifests. So he says, uh, no one likes to be pushed around, but people often put up with it for too long. So I get them to see their resentments first as anger and then as an indication that something needs to be said, if not done, not least because honesty demands it. Then I get them to get them to see it, to see such a f action as part of the force that holds tyranny at bay at the social level as much as the individual. Many bureaucracies have petty authoritarians within them generating unnecessary rules and procedures simply to express and cement power. Such people produce powerful undercurrents of resentment around them, which, if expressed, would limit their expression of pathological power. It is in this manner that the willingness of the individual to stand up for him or herself protects everyone from the corruption of society. There it is. So yeah. it's, it's true with, like, well, right, what we've, I mean, because we're in California, but it's, it's been Ooh. a lot easier to see, right? Like John MacArthur being like, uh, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the governor anymore because uh, we listened to him the first time around and you guys did not enforce this whole idea of not congregating in large, large amounts, large groups of people. And we saw the protesting and that was justified. Wherein there was other protests going on before that were not as big, but because the point or the reason for the protest was not deemed as as honorable or not deemed as essential. That's what they used, right? Essential. Yeah. So just with that alone, right? People are like, okay, enough is enough. Because I remember too when, when, I don't know how long ago it was, but he started closing things down again. It was like that same week after he, he made that. I guess it was like an executive order or whatnot. I was driving by and I could see like some restaurants were open, some MMA gyms, some boxing yeah, gyms. Yeah, things were starting to. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, people don't, people don't care. No. They're fighting. I mean, they're resisting. They're not complying. Everyone's moving outdoors, especially restaurants right now. Yeah. It's funny. Actually, I was thinking about on the way here that if, if, if restaurant owners could reimagine what it looked like to dine in. And essentially what you can do um, is create the kitchen, but then kind of have it out and about, right? You can have in the parking lot or whatever, you know, just reimagine. It doesn't have to be in a building anymore. Well, look at the... 
especially when you think about like street food, right? Right, the street vendors. Look at yeah. the, the what are they called? The lunch trucks. I know that's not yeah. what they're actually called. They're called something else. Lunch oh, the, the guys that go out to construct the cart. Yeah, yeah. Trucks that go out to construction like the real, There's like really fancy ones too. They oh, the bistros or the yeah. I know. I know. There's a fancier description yeah, yeah. for them. But anyway, look at the privilege they have. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Privilege of two restaurants being side by side, but if one has patio space, right? Look at the advantage that they have to stay in business and to still be able to operate and whatnot. Yeah. There's. Um, I've I've heard that they're going to have like shared. Um, Kind of like downtown Fourth Street Market where there's like a bunch of restaurants in one area. But they're going to do it where it's like a kitchen and then there's like five different restaurants. you got pizza and sushi mm-hmm. and all these, right? And they're all going to do delivery or pickup. Nothing to dine in. Mm-hmm. So it's like a shared space and whatnot. So, um, yeah. So to go back to what you just read about how, you know, it is in this manner that the willingness of the individual to stand up for him or herself protects everyone from the corruption of society, right? So, I mean, that's, you can, you can argue that's what people are doing right now by those, by protesting and, you know, maybe even can say rioting. They're, they're, they're standing up to the corruption of society. At least there's a claim that's being made about that. So we could say they're being awakened. You could say they're being awakened. They're, he, they're tired he, of it. He even touches on that a bit too. Yeah. So he, he writes, when the awakening occurs... When once naive people recognize in themselves the seeds of evil and monstrosity and see themselves as dangerous, at least potentially, their fear decreases, they develop more self-respect. Then perhaps they begin to resist oppression. They see that they have the ability to withstand because they are terrible too. They see they can and must stand up because they begin to understand how genuinely monstrous they will become otherwise feeding on their resentment, transforming it into the most destructive of wishes. To say it again, there is very little difference between the capacity for mayhem and destruction, integrated and strengthened of character. This is one of the most difficult lessons of life. We totally read that twice. (laughs) Did I read that twice? I read it once before. You did? The whole paragraph? Yeah. (laughs) It's important, though. No, I mean, it's funny, but it's really important. Um... I think those go hand in hand perfectly because obviously um, actually the paragraph before he says they, there's a section where he says they react like monsters. They can truly be in extreme badful conditions and the revelation of that capacity undoes the world. And no wonder, perhaps they assume that all of history's terrible perpetrators were people totally unlike themselves. Mm. So if you, if you kind of set those in conjunction or you, you set them together, you you realize okay if you stand up for yourself, but then you assume that all those all the perpetrators all the pressures are the others. But then also there's an awakening within yourself that you are that you you pretty Potential much for yeah being, you could be, be that oppressor you can inflict harm on someone else. That's the rub politically, right? It's like yeah. just give us all the power, right? Give us Vote all the control. Us. Yeah, we'll take away the guns. And we'll make sure that everything's good. Yeah. We'll give everybody universal health care. We'll give everybody... Free education, free everything. Health care. Right. Did I say that already? Um, yeah. No, but that's that's yeah. a big talking point for yeah. some of these politicians. They want to be the savior. They want to be the know-it-all. They want they have all the answers. Right. You know, and this utopia, it's it has been tried before. Yeah. Let's stop acting like this happened... This was put into 
action and a lot of bad things happened Lots and of, a lot of bad things are still happening very much so around the world and people don't recognize that and i think that's important because what what they're saying a lot of these politicians and or what they're saying oddly enough is that we will mitigate your ability to act for yourself right your autonomy your independence your right your 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 ability to act as a sovereign citizen your ability to be responsible right and then secondly you are also taking away the repercussions the the consequences of one's actions so you're simultaneously simultaneously taking away someone's ability to act out in the world as they seek fit and two they're taking away the punishment whether good or bad or the consequences rather good or bad of those said actions that's basically an argument that I made to a friend of mine that, yes, do I do I think that people should be held accountable for their actions? Yes. Whether it's the NRA, right? If you want to say the NRA is responsible for the actions of gun owners, okay, you can say that. But you can also say BLM would be responsible for the actions of their members. What's going on right now? Right? You can say that. You can say those are both factually coherent. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If that, uh, you can say that's coherent. That's in a coherent argument. Because you cannot, because that was his point. You have to hold one side and the other side accountable. Okay, true, very much true. Now the 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 rub is now if we're gonna hold everyone's actions accountable, that should be across the board, no matter your political persuasion or your faith or anything in that regard, your gender and whatnot, right? If if you're gonna hold each other accountable, then that then that's that should be the case, right? Now. The problem is, is that we all do terrible things. So what do we do about that? That's where you're supposed to come in, Lee. Like, about, yeah. about we're all capable of doing uh, terrible uh, things. Hey, Lee, you still here? Well, that... <laughs> <laughs> come on, well, man. That's, that's... Come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. Joe, come on, man, Biden. So, well, that's where, that's where he brings in the the definition of what he's laying out in this chapter. What does it look like? What does it mean to stand up with your shoulders straight? Right. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Excuse me. So this this is his uh, input or his his way of defining what that's going to look like, what that means. It says, to stand up straight with your shoulders back is to accept the terrible responsibility of life with eyes wide open, it means deciding to voluntarily transform the chaos of potential into the realities of habitual, uh, sorry, habitable, habitable order. Habitable. <laughs> habitable order. Thank you. It means adopting the burden of self-conscious vul- vulnerability and accepting the end of the unconscious paradise of childhood. Where finitude and mortality are only dimly comprehended comprehended it means willingly undertaking the sacrifices necessary to generate a productive and meaningful reality it means acting to please god in the ancient language yeah yeah exactly i think that that to me is is being responsible yeah being responsible it's answering the call to whatever life has in store for you it's pressing towards the hard mark of God's calling. It's moving towards. It's moving towards that reality that 
it's God. I mean, it's it's striving towards righteousness. It's striving towards seeking justice and um, loving thy enemy and um, being your brother's keeper. It's, it's all those things. He, he, he goes, doesn't state it exactly, but uh, that's what it is. He goes on, to stand up straight with your shoulders back means building the ark that protects the world from the flood. Noah. Guiding your people through the desert after they have escaped tyranny. Making, Moses. Making your way away from comfortable home and country, speaking the prophetic word to those who ignore the widows and children. Jesus. It means shouldering the cross that marks the X, the place where you and being intersect so terribly. It means casting dead, rigid, and too tyrannical order back into the chaos in which it was generated. It means withstanding the, the ensuing uncertainty and establishing in consequence a better more meaningful and more productive order. Come on. Like the rise of the Phoenix. Right? Yeah. So I'm hearing, hearing the resurrection. Yeah. The resurrection. Absolutely. That old becomes new. New the wine. The tomb becomes the womb. New wine. New wineskin. Absolutely. Renewal of the mind. Right? Yeah. To be reborn. So we have to, I mean, yeah, renewing the mind. That, that's a daily thing. Daily. So even in the smallest sense of, of our Tell ideas or habits... Right, because then before that, he even goes into the the neurological or the psychological effects of how important it is to sleep, wake up at the same time, and wake up at the same time every day, and have a heavy protein and fat breakfast, and how all these habits they're they're enabling your circadian rhythm, right, and your all the biology that's going on in <laughs> in our right. bodies, yeah, all the science, all the, the follow when you follow the science, when you follow the science, your bodies I follow are, them on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Your body's a machine <laughs> that needs to be finely tuned. It's basically what he's saying. And that if you're going to worry less about your car being broken into an eye and, and worry uh-huh. more about Let's not go back to that. <laughs> your, your being able to study or, right, or right. F- focusing on your, you know, your exams, then yeah, if you have all this, this other stuff, the response, if the responsibility part is being met, yeah, then, cause later on he says, um, speak your mind, put, your desire put your desires forward as if you had a right to them at least the same right as others walk tall and gaze forthrightly ahead dare to be dangerous encourage the serotonin to flow plentifully through the neural pathways desperate for <laughs> desperate for its calming influence like how he puts that yeah it wants it, it desire it, it's a desire that we have right to have tranqu- tranquility in a sense to have um, balance in our lives to be balanced psychologically, right. physically, in a sense. Because it, it, um, how do you call it? Hopefully, I can find. Go, sorry, go on. There's a part that I was like, oh wait a minute, that's sound. Well, he talks about the dragons and the gold. Do you remember that part? Yeah, I believe it is at the uh, somewhere in the middle. I think. I actually was just looking at it earlier, which is interesting. Now that you bring it up, there it is. I saw a dragon. It says, you respond to a challenge instead of racing for a catastrophe. You see the gold the dragon hoards. Instead of shrinking in terror from the all-too-real fact of the dragon, you step forward to take your place in the dominant hierarchy and occupy your territory, manifesting your willingness to defend, expand, and transform it that all that can all occur practically or symbolically as a physical or as a conceptual restructuring. So when I, when I read that... Boom. The dragon and the gold. 
what came to mind for me right away was the 12 spies of Israel going into the promised land, seeing the giants, seeing the... That's right. The, 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 the blessing, the food, how enormous the fruit was, vegetation, whatnot, and how there were only two spies that came back with a positive report, a good report. They were saying, oh, we yeah. can totally do it, guys. I know we've been wandering this desert. We're, t- we're sick and tired of having to just eat you know, manna and quail and not having any real shelter. So you know, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, were saying, we can do it. God's on our side. We're, we've been, this is our moment. This is, uh, this is what we're going to do. And they, they didn't focus on the dragon. They didn't focus on the giants, the giants right. of the land. They didn't have fear, right? They had courage. And the other 10 spies, they were completely disabled in their thinking. Petrified? Petrified. They yeah. couldn't. The gold didn't matter. It was the dragon that. Oh my goodness! It's too much to bear. This is. There's no way that we're, they, we look. We look like we look like grasshoppers among amongst men compared to these people. Yeah. And it's just really interesting because I when I when I saw that I was like, and to think like for Caleb in Caleb's case, he was actually in his I think in his 80s or 90s when he was still willing to fight those giants. He wow. wanted, he wanted, even as an old man, he was still like, wait a minute, that inheritance, that land that was promised to me as a young man, he still had that within him. He would still have that fighting spirit. He still had that, that desire, I guess, to, to still go out and the and serotonin was the flowing. Serotonin was flowing for that old man. Yeah. <laughs> and he was still like, Oh, I'll go and fight him. Yeah. Let's do this. God told me that I was going to have that. So let me have it. Let's go. Yeah. Crazy. That's awesome. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and wind this down. I think we can go on forever and ever, but, um, I would say that we've hit all the important points here. I think so. And, um, perhaps we can read the last few paragraphs just to close us off or sure. do you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So let's, I'll, we'll go ahead and close us off with the last few paragraphs here. Uh, this is 12 rules for life. Jordan B. Peterson. Rule one, stand up straight with your shoulders back um, as it relates to dominant hierarchy and, and whatnot. Um, last, few, last few paragraphs in, in the chapter says here, people, including yourself, will start to assume that you are competent and able, or at least they will not immediately conclude the reverse. Emboldened by the positive responses you are now receiving, you will begin to be less anxious. You will then find it easier to pay attention to the subtle social social clues. Let me read that again. You will then find it easier to pay attention to the subtle social clues that people exchange when they are communicating. Your conversation will flow better with fewer awkward pauses. This will make you more likely to meet people, interact with them, and impress them. Doing so will not only genuinely increase the probability that good things will happen to you, it will also make those good things feel better when they do happen. Thus strengthened and emboldened, you may choose to embrace being, with a capital B, and work for its furtherance and improvement. Thus strengthened, you may be able to stand, even during the illness of a loved one, even during the death of a parent, and allow others to find strength alongside you when they would otherwise be overwhelmed with despair. Thus emboldened, you will embark on the voyage of your life. Let your light shine, so to speak, on the heavenly hill, and pursue your rightful destiny. Then the meaning of your life 
may be sufficient to keep the, corrupt, the corrupting influence of mortal despair at bay. Then you may be able to accept the terrible burden of the world and find joy. Look for your inspiration in the victor's, victorious lobster with its 350 million years of practical wisdom. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. There it is, folks. And all we can add is that this podcast does not do this chapter or this book enough justice that mm -hmm. you really have to go and look into it and read it on your own or, you know, maybe get your hands on an audio version or what have you. But, uh, yeah, there's just so much about this book that it's uh, enriching and it's definitely, I mean, I, reading it the, the second time around, for me anyway, I was like, well, there's still a lot of blind spots that, you know, that we do miss that. Oh, yeah. Maybe you didn't see it or catch it the first time, but there's always, there's just so much to, to, to gather. Yeah, we can go line by line. Yeah. That would be ever, forever. But so, so in other words, we highly recommend this book to anybody that is looking to find more more meaning in life or find more... Yeah, meaning and purpose and, and find some... Structure. Structure and look for for a way out of whatever. If you're stuck in a rut... Yeah. Yeah. It's highly recommended. Very much. Um, we'll, we'll be going through these. We may have guests at some point, but we'll get try to get these 12... We'll try to get through the 12, 12 rules. So 11 more to go. And um, thank you all. We'll see you all next week. A lot of fun. Yeah. Good, goodbye. All right, see ya.